Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Monday, September 12th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. The body of Queen Elizabeth II has arrived in Edinburgh, Scotland, and King Charles III is formally proclaimed British monarch. In the coming days, her body will be taken to Edinburgh and then London, where she will lie in state before her funeral, which is scheduled to take place Monday, September 19th. We'll get reaction from around Africa to the death of the Queen. A Chadian political leader sets conditions for participation in talks with the military government. Kenya's president-elect William Ruto and his deputy to be sworn in tomorrow, Tuesday, with U.S. delegates in attendance. We have uh, confirmations from presidents and heads of states across Africa, totaling to 20 in number. And Ethiopia's industrial hopes dwindle as conflict and sanctions take toll. Those stories plus something O'Malley sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. service for Britain's Queen Elizabeth II will be held in London at Westminster Abbey on Monday, September 19. The Queen began her return to London on Sunday when her coffin was transported more than 280 kilometers by hers from Belmaro, where she died on Thursday, to Edinburgh. Meanwhile, King Charles III was formally proclaimed as Britain's monarch and head of the Commonwealth on Saturday in a ceremony in London. Charles became king upon the death of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II, on Thursday. Henry Richwell reports. Pomp and ceremony refined over centuries, broadcast on television for the first time. At St. James's Palace in London, a meeting of the Accession Council formally confirmed Charles III as King of Britain and Head of the Commonwealth. Among them, all six living former Prime Ministers, senior politicians, judges and officials. By the grace of God of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of his other realms and territories, King, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the faith, to whom we do acknowledge all faith and obedience with humble affection, beseeching God, by whom kings and queens do reign, to bless his majesty with long and happy years to reign over us. God save the king. God save the king. King Charles addressed the council and paid tribute to his late mother, Queen Elizabeth II. My mother's reign was unequaled in its duration, its dedication, and its devotion. Even as we grieve, we give thanks for this most faithful life. The proclamation was repeated from the balcony of St. James's Palace. Gun salutes rang out to welcome the new king. In Parliament, senior MPs pledged their allegiance to the new king. Charles and his wife, Queen Consort Camilla, then travelled to their new home, Buckingham Palace. Thousands of onlookers cheered their new king. I just felt like a really special moment in history, and it was lovely actually seeing him. I didn't think I'd feel as emotional as I did. No, it was really 
special. They are complex emotions for a country undergoing profound historical change, welcoming a new king, mourning the death of a deeply loved queen. Royal family feuds were, for now, forgotten as the newly appointed Prince and Princess of Wales, William and Catherine, and the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Harry and Meghan, reunited to greet well-wishers and inspect floral tributes to the late Queen outside Windsor Castle. In the coming days, her body will be taken to Edinburgh and then London, where she will lie in state before her funeral, which is scheduled to take place Monday, September 19th. Dozens of world leaders, including US President Joe Biden, are expected to attend. Henry Ridgewell for VOA News, London. The outpouring of tributes to the late Queen Elizabeth II of Great Britain continues. The Queen passed away last Thursday at the age of 96. President Samia Suluhu Hassan of Tanzania, a former British colony, has declared five days of national mourning to mark the Queen's death. Tanzania is among several African countries and world leaders who are marking the Queen's death nationally. For some Africans, the death of the British monarch is being greeted with mixed emotions. I am Felis Tamawia, Acting Executive Director for Legal Human Rights Center in Tanzania. Tanzania and UK has historically been partner in many areas such as good governance, democracy and development. We join our fellows in the UK during this difficult time of mourning the death of Queen Elizabeth. Tanzania also will observe a five-day period to mourn the death of Queen Elizabeth as declared by our president, Samia Sulu Hassan. My name is Caroline Katotowe here in Lusaka, Zambia. Passing of Queen Elizabeth II is very disheartening, so unbelievable, really, because growing up in the 80s, she is one figure that I grew up watching, you know, watching her leadership style, which is extremely inspirational. You don't have many leaders that are women. Just her strength, her resilience, her tenacity is one thing that for me personally, like I mentioned, she inspired me greatly. And for me, that, you know, is something that I've carried with as a woman. You need to have that balance. And she portrayed that very, very well. May her soul rest in peace. My name is Boniface Chembe. Most of our lives, we have known the Queen as not only the head of state of the United Kingdom, but also the head of the Commonwealth to which our country, Zambia, belongs. A very gentle, warm, lovely family woman who was an emblem, if you will, of unity, of belonging is normal. We had become so accustomed to her and her demise is deeply regrettable. My name is Nathan Nyerenda. To me, the queen was the pinnacle of excellence and elegance. When we talk about very good English, we would always refer to it as the queen's tongue. The queen was elegant in her dressing. When you looked at how she matched the hats with the coats and the dresses that she wore, and the pearls would always be there, and I love pearls. She, in so many ways, also reminded me of my late grandmother, who was a very special soul and an excellent woman who was my friend. But the queen is dead, and long live the king. 
My name is Hassan Jai, and I'm from the Gambia. I'm a lecturer in political science at the University of the Gambia, and also a researcher with the Center for Research and Policy Development. I wouldn't have any problem if people want to mourn the death of the Queen, but personally, it is not of much importance to me, as far as the Queen is concerned. I mean, it just reminds me of the days of colonial era, and of course, it is what we call neocolonialism. Um, reading Kwame Nkrumah's book, Neocolonialism and the Last Stage of Imperialism, it reminds you of the heinous acts that were committed by the colonial authorities, which the Queen was part and parcel of. For me, I have little or no less of an opinion when it comes to King Charles being now the King of Britain. Um, I think what he must do, if I put all emotions away, um, I think King Charles must take responsibility of the actions and also must apologize to the British colonies and as well as descendants of slavery, descendants of colonialism, of the atrocities committed by Great Britain. And they must also go further than that to compensating these countries. The reactions of some Africans to the death of Queen Elizabeth II of Great Britain. At least 20 African heads of state and government have confirmed attendance at Tuesday's swearing-in ceremony of Kenya's president-elect William Ruto and his deputy-elect Rigati Gachakwa. At the same time, Raila Odinga's deputy presidential candidate in the August 9th elections has vowed to fight the outcome in the East African Court of Justice, saying she was not satisfied with Kenya's Supreme Court ruling. Maureen Ojiambo reports from Nairobi. According to the Transition Committee, everything is set for the day as thousands are expected to attend the event with more than 2,500 delegates invited. Kenya's Interior Principal Secretary Karanja Kibicho said that tomorrow visitors are expected to be seated by 7 a.m. Kenyan time. Kibicho says security is beefed up to ensure the safety of the people attending the ceremony. Uh, the preparations in as far as the infrastructure is concerned well on time. Our VIPs have been gracious enough to agree that uh, early morning we do uh, common pooling and therefore uh, we shall be announcing uh, designated areas where these uh, VIPs will be picked so that we use uh, pooling services uh, to make the traffic a little lighter. The U.S. President Joe Biden has named five delegates who will be attending Ruto swearing-in. According to the White House, among the delegates attending the event will be U.S. Ambassador to Kenya Meg Whiteman and U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai. Kibicho says Kenyans do not require any official invite as the stadium will be open to all. Following the Kenyan law, the president must be sworn in not later than 2 p.m. local time. And we have uh, confirmations from presidents and heads of states across Africa, that's totaling to 20 in number. We expect uh, Kenyans, the 60,000 of them, uh, to start flowing in. Ali will open this stadium at around 4 a.m. so that by uh, 7 a.m. all are seated. Despite the Supreme Court ruling that William Ruto's win was legitimate, Azimiola Umoja, one Kenya coalition deputy presidential candidate Martha Karua has vowed to head to the East African Court of Justice so she can challenge the Kenyan court's decision. I am actually considering where to, whether to travel on a hot air balloon to the East African Court just to discuss that judgment. Now it's me as a Kenyan because also I'm entitled as an individual 
So it's something I'm quite considering. But for now, because I have time, I'll take a break. Media houses will not be allowed to broadcast the event independently, but will instead have a feed from a private contractor, a move that has elicited mixed reactions among journalists and private media owners. Reporting for VUS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jambo in Nairobi, Kenya. listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Bucky, Washington. Today is Monday, September 12th. And still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley's post. In Chad, the leader of the opposition Transformers Party says his party has always been interested in dialogue, but under two conditions. Success Masra says one of those conditions is that the military government led by Mohammed Idris Debi should fulfill its promise to Chadians that its members will not run for any political office. He also wants equal representation of all parties attending the current dialogue, particularly those, he said, that would vote on any binding resolutions. The agreement signed last month in Qatar between the military government and over 40 Chad rebel groups did not prohibit Debbie from running in the next election. Mazra, as the head of one of the groups boycotting the current dialogue, was summoned last Friday by Chad's attorney general for unspecified reasons. He tells me he did not meet with the attorney general because police used force against his supporters who wanted to accompany him. I couldn't uh, reach the place because the security forces blocked us. So how can I go if the security forces block me? So I decided to come back because more than 100,000 people were outside. They just wanted to go with me because I said I will go marching and singing freedom for our people. So they decided to come and join, and I was going there. And at the end of the day, I couldn't reach the place, so I decided to come back to my headquarters. And they came in my headquarters, and, and this is the continuation of... Uh, it, it started on uh, 1st of September. And uh, after they sent me this uh, sermon, and I was going there, and, uh, you know, they came and do the same thing. So the objective is really to destroy what we represent. The fact that they see that the dialogue we launched is more popular compared to what they were doing. Talking about dialogue, we understand that you and your group have been boycotting the ongoing national dialogue. Why are you boycotting? We want to be part of the national dialogue. You remember in 2018 and in 2020, we were the ones who said we need a new dialogue because there was a lack of uh, sincerity in those dialogues, and uh, they refused. So we are ready for the dialogue, but we have two conditions, and those conditions are not new conditions. We are just asking the agenda to fulfill its commitment. They committed that they are not going to run for office. They can't be ruling the country while being also candidates for the coming election. So we are asking them to commit and to say it clearly so this is the number one. And the second thing is that the people who join the current ongoing dialogue, which is not really a dialogue because 90% of the people in this room come from the former system. And they added only 10% of people coming from the other side. Dialogue means you have two parts and it should be balanced. So we are asking not the same number, but the number of those who could vote the resolution, it should be the same number. So that when we go for debate and for the resolution, at least it's uh, something which is really balanced. Otherwise, it means that the resolutions, etc., which are already pre-cooked, will be adopted. 
you have been quoted as saying that uh, you are carrying the cross of justice in chat. Exactly what do you mean? Yes, because even those people who joined me and wanted to go with me to see the Attorney General, actually, this is what they are thinking. Justice, equality. Justice, equality. What we want is justice and equality. Not more, but not less. Because if you want to build a nation, justice should be the backbone. It should be the root of a country. The problem of my country is that from independence today, the transfer of power was not more based on democratic way. It was more based on those who have guns and weapons, etc., etc. People ruling this country during this period of transition, they don't want to see our country move forward. So it's like a cross of justice. Yeah, really, because we want to make sure that the people of Chad have the possibility tomorrow to choose the leader. Success, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to talk with thank, you. Thank you so much, brother. Success Mathra is leader of Chad's opposition Transformers Party. He was speaking with me from the Chadian capital, Unjamina. Ethiopia once said it wanted to become the China of Africa, that is, a manufacturing hub with the help of its industrial parks. But the global economic downturn and the country's ongoing conflict have prompted companies to leave the parks and lay off thousands of workers. Henry Wilkins reports from Hawassa, Ethiopia. The Ethiopian government hoped that this industrial park opened in 2016 with the potential to create 60,000 jobs would help the country move from an agricultural to a manufacturing economy and that the companies would bring high-tech work. Kalkadan Asrat, a logistics manager, shared those dreams. She says her birthplace is a small town and her family worked in agriculture for a living as subsistence farmers. When she completed her education, she joined the industrial park, where she said she was able to improve her prospects. There are 10 other industrial parks like Hawassa spread across Ethiopia. The government has said it hoped to make Ethiopia a lower middle-income country by 2025, with manufacturing playing a big part. That is now looking less likely because of the COVID-19 pandemic, inflation, a lack of foreign currency in the country and conflict and human rights abuses. Patrick Heinisch is an emerging markets economist. Uh, yes, the civil war has, um, has impacted the industrial parks a lot. First of all, two, in the, two of the 13 industrial parks have been impacted directly by, yeah, they, they've been in the combat zone effectively, but the, the most severe hit to the industrial parks results from the loss of access to Agoa. One week after the announcement, the first company, PVH, I think you know it, they announced that they would retreat from the Ethiopian market. They sold their factories in in Ethiopia. This uh, step has been followed by other companies. The African Growth and Opportunity Act, or AGOA, passed in the US in 2000 to aid development in sub-Saharan Africa, gave Ethiopia duty-free access to the US market for several products. With Ethiopian wages much lower than those in China, a country synonymous with manufacturing, and AGOA making it cheaper to import goods to the US, many international manufacturing companies set up in Hawassa's industrial sheds. On January 1st, however, the US withdrew Ethiopia's access to AGOA due to gross violations of human rights. Rights groups have accused the Ethiopian government and its aligned military forces of large-scale human abuses, including ethnic cleansing against Tigrayans during the country's near two-year conflict. Tigrayan forces have also been accused of abuses. 35,000 people worked at Tawasa, but in June one firm laid off 3,000 workers and others laid off hundreds. One factory owner in Hawassa 
Raghavendra Patar says the country is struggling to adapt. So now we are looking at a new market. We are switching to the new new market, like European market, but it'll take it'll take more time to develop the market again. So that's what we are suffering a lot. Uh, the country is suffering for the foreign currency. There is no foreign currency availability in the country today. They also need a support from other countries, like you know, big country like America. The deputy general manager of the park, Balante Tebeku, said the withdrawal of Agoa was causing more problems than the pandemic or inflation. So there are some, you know, as I told you, reductions on, you know, orders uh, because they have been, you know, enjoying a you know, free, uh, custom duty-free, you know, privileges in the American markets since most of the commodities are being exported to your, the U.S., right? In another bad sign for the country's economy, fighting between government and Tigrayan rebel forces broke out again in late August after a five-month ceasefire. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Hawassa, Ethiopia. It's time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports with the CAF Super Cup. Renaissance Sporto Dubakani won the Africa Super Cup for the first time after beating fellow Moroccan side Wada Casablanca 2-0 in Rabat on Saturday. Iris Bakani, winners of the 2021-2022 CAF Competitions Cup, won the 31st edition of the CAF Super Cup after goals from Sheikhi El Bahiri and Sofian El Modani from the penalty sport in the second half cemented their victory in the Moroccan Derby. The CAF Super Cup is played between winners of the CAF Champions League and the CAF Confederations Cup champions. Elsewhere in women's football on the African continent, Zambia Copper Queens have won the Council of Southern Africa Football Association Kosafa Women's Championship for the first time in their history after beating host Banyana Banyana of South Africa 1-0. This is the first time in the 20 years of the competition that the Zambians clinched the regional title. Rabanda was the hero of the match after she broke the deadlock in extra time at the Isaac Wolfson Stadium in Kwazakile. The crucial strike marked the Shanghai Shanghai forwards' 10th goal of the season. And now to athletics, where Commonwealth Games on Africa 100 meters champion Ferdinand Omanyala lost to American World 100 meters silver medalist Marvin Bracey for the second time in 100 meters at Hazakovika meeting in Zagreb, Croatia on Sunday. Omanyala clocked 10.19 seconds to finish third behind Bracey, who won in 9.97 seconds, and European 100 meters bronze medalist Jeremiah Azu, who timed 10.14 seconds for the second place. Staying with athletics, Helen Obiri on Sunday successfully defended her Great North Run title in United Kingdom. Obiri, who clocked a faster time compared to last year, beat compatriot and Olympic marathon champion Pires Jepchichir to second place. Kenyan Obiri won in 67 minutes, 05 seconds ahead of Jepchichir, who clocked 67 minutes, 0.7 seconds, while Ethiopian's Almaz Ayana settled for third place in 67 minutes, 1.0 seconds. In volleyball news, Nigeria under-19 boys volleyball team on Sunday successfully defended the under-19 men's African Nations volleyball championship title, which they won in Abuja in 2021. The under-19 men's African Nations volleyball championship final played in Al Jadida, Morocco, saw Nigeria beat Egypt 25-20. 
25-18-31-19 to retain their title. And now to tennis, where it was heartbreak for Tunisia and the entire African continent as world number one Iga Swantek defeated Tunisian's Ons Jabour to win her second Grand Slam title of the year with a straight set victory in the U.S. Open final on Saturday. The 21-year-old defeated Ons Jabour 6-2, 7-6, And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, September 12th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for beginning your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Street Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I'm James Barton, Washington.